Friend, have you ever thought about starting a podcast? If so, Spotify's got a platform that lets you make and start a podcast so easily and then distribute it everywhere and even earn some money. It's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. And then you can distribute it wherever podcasts are heard. Even video podcasts are available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. But best of all, it's totally free and there's no catch. Ever since we've been using Spotify for Podcasters at A Wife Like Me, we've been able to triple our reach, reaching wives across the globe. And it's so simple. Again, we do this right from our computer. And again, you can do it from your phone. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or just go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters. Again, www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Welcome, welcome. We are here with Sherry Gregory tonight. It's going to be a great conversation. And before you even dive in, hey, tell us where you're watching from, please. We are so glad that you are with us. Um, we are on Together with a Wife Like Me. I'm Amanda Davison, your host. And we have, again, Sherry Gregory with us tonight. Hey, Sherry. Hey, Amanda. It's so good to be with you. This is so fun. I love this conversation. We have talked a little about this topic before and I wanted to bring you back on and dive into it specifically regarding marriages tonight. So we are talking, we're diving into actually Sherry, one of Sherry's books, you guys, Seriously Sensitive and Strong. She co-authored it with Denise Hughes and it's a wonderful resource. We're going to talk about it tonight. I learned so much about myself, including that I am, I believe, a highly sensitive person. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, we are doing a giveaway as well. So as you're watching, um, just comment me, whether you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook, we'll see that and you'll be entered to win this copy tonight. So yay, yay, yay. Oh, also before too, if you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'll mm -hmm. send you a free one. Just uh, put, I need a Bible in the comments and we'll find you and message you for your address. But Welcome to you, Sherry. Sherry, you're an author, speaker. You are passionate about women living, well, all of us living our one life well. Mm -hmm. it's awesome to be with you again. What do you want to share about yourself that maybe we don't know or just introduce yourself a bit? Well, I am a former English teacher. Notice there is no red pen behind my ear tonight, so nobody needs to worry. Um, but I'm a former English teacher turned blogger, author, speaker, podcaster, coach, and community facilitator. Um, I've been married to my college sweetheart, Daniel, for over 34 years. And um, we have two gro um, grown adult children and then um, our geriatric diabetic cat, Rafiki, who yeah. I flood Facebook with way too many photos of him. 
And uh, I guess if I haven't had to pick one word to describe how God wired me, it would be collaborator. I have mm -hmm. um, co-authored five books and I really can't think of anything I'd rather do alone um, than with a partner or a small group of co-creators. So I do run the Sensitive and Strong Community Cafe, which is an online community for highly sensitive persons. And then I also coach um, and both um, do writing coaching and business coaching for women, um, especially those who are writing a um, book um, or a book proposal based on the message that God has laid on their heart. And gifted you are. I oh. mean that's true. You've you've had some of my writing coaching in the past. <laughs> yes. yes. It's like you're phenomenal. Like you're such a great advocate for other Christian, you know, creatives really and mm. like trying to get their message out and mm. wanting to do God's work. So a million things. So if you need help, reach out to Sherry and she'll be linked in the comments. Um, so you, what we're talking about tonight is really getting into the conversation of when there's a sensitivity gap mm -hmm. in marriage. And I'm super pumped because just like I found out when I first read Sensitive and Strong, um, I didn't even know that I was a highly sensitive person. And so we hear that even term and you might be watching and you're like, that does not apply to me, mm -hmm. which is exactly honestly what I thought. And mm -hmm. then, oh, that's not at all what I thought it was. And really the book is a guide for anyone who is a highly sensitive person or who loves another mm -hmm, mm -hmm. person. And so, I mean, I just have to say, get the book, but we're going to just do a, a little dive into it tonight. So can we start with just maybe defining what is a highly sensitive person? Well, hey, you're asking a word girl to define things. So I'm in my happy place here. Um, so first of all, let's talk about what it's not. It is not being easily offended, which I'm guessing is one of the reasons you might have struggled to identify as a highly sensitive person because you are so um, solution oriented and so positive and so fun loving. Um, so it's not easily offended. It is also not the same thing as narcissism. There was an article that kind of made the rounds in 2022 that really linked being an HSP with being a narcissist. Mm -hmm. And oh, it was that was um, it was badly botched. It is not at all what the data shows. In fact, if anything, what ends up happening often is those of us who are HSPs, we might attract narcissists. Um, but since that's the last thing on earth we would ever want to be, we would be horrified to to come across that way. Um, basically, if you're worried about being a narcissist, you probably aren't one by definition. Mm -hmm. And then it's also not being a snowflake or a drama queen or being high maintenance. And so those are some of the things that get mixed up when people think of being highly sensitive. So really the core definition, the most basic definition of a highly sensitive person is somebody who has sensory processing sensitivity. And that's about 20 to 30% of the population across the board in all countries um, and both gender, all, all genders. It's not just, you know, it, it's kind of a stereotypical, oh, women are so sensitive. No, there's an equal number of highly sensitive persons who are men. And so those of us who are HSPs, we process and experience sensory input differently than those who are not HSPs. And so it is biological, it is genetic, it has nothing to do with some of these other things that kind of make the BuzzFeed headlines and are more sensational. Yeah. And that is so different. Mm -hmm. Okay. Processing sensory information differently. Yes. That is not the same as no. being 
highly emotional. No. Which is what I thought and mm-hmm. highly sensitive person was. That's what I thought. I don't know mm-hmm. why I thought mm-hmm. that. That's what that meant. Overly emotional, emotionally out of control, yeah. um, controlled by their emotions. Oh, yeah. 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 That's what I thought it was. So it's mm-hmm. honestly, this was a light bulb moment when I, again, was reading it the first time because I was like, that's what's, that's what this is. Mm-hmm. Like, that is this. I, that's why I, you know, when the kids are so loud or whatever mm-hmm. in the kitchen and literally inside, I'm just like, I, I feel like I'm like, ah, inside mm-hmm. my body. And I, I have to go upstairs, mm-hmm. bath, and mm-hmm. unplug. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with what's happening, but right. inside of me, I it's too much for yeah. me. And before I knew this, I mean, I didn't find this out till I was 45 and my kids were young adults. And so it helped me understand when I was, you know, a young mom and they were younger when, you know, Jonathan was colicky and, you know, I did the best I could, but I thought I was a horrible mother because of the reactivity, reactivity I had to it. And it wasn't to him. It was to the, to the amount of sound. And, you know, there's so much we could do differently now if I, you know, if I had known, but it really, it's given a lot more compassionate empathy both to my former self. And it turns out in our family, all four of us are HSPs. We have entirely different constellations of sensitivity so that what, you know, what drives me a little bit crazier, others, others in the family don't even notice, or they're just able to screen it out or metabolize it more, more easily. Um, But we do all have this understanding of each other and a level of respect for each other, which really, really helps. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about then, you know, for your family, you each have it differently like how Mm -hmm. for those of us watching tonight again if you want to win the giveaway put me in the comments you can also share this help out a wife help out her marriage her family um how do we know then if we or our husbands Mm -hmm. just peas okay so there's five key qualities to an hsp i'll just go through them really really quickly here the first one is that highly sensitive persons need time to process And so we tend to be the person who doesn't make a quick decision. We don't think on our feet. Um, We might have our best response to something 24 to 48 hours later, maybe even longer. And so if we're asked, for example, to make a sudden decision or to make a sudden change, we can end up with deer in the headlights that other people interpret as us being offended. And it's just the wheels are needing to turn and we're just needing that time to process things. And so it's not disapproval. Um, now, the other thing that can, can come with this for a lot of us is if we're interrupted, then the deep processing we were trying to do also gets interrupted. And so, again, it's not that we're easily offended. Uh, but for me, at least, if I'm really deep in thought, being interrupted feels like I'm being yanked out. It's almost physically painful. Mm-hmm. And um so that's one of the things is um, needing time to process being a deep processor and struggling with interruptions. Um, uh, the second one is HSPs are easily overstimulated by sensory stimuli. And so we've already touched on that one, but that's all five senses. And like I said, everybody has a different constellation. I tend to be especially sensitive through my nose from, for Daniel, it's very visual, like visual clutter bothers him. He loves a very minimalist approach to home decorating. And like, he likes completely bare walls. You start putting a lot of stuff out or, or little tchotchkes everywhere. And that literally causes pain in his brain. Um, 
So the third one is that HSPs feel their own emotions intensely. So I think this is where the misnomer that, you know, HSPs are overly emotional comes from. We do feel those emotions and we might um, be expressors or we might be internalizers. Um, we might be criers. Like my, my emotions just leak out of my eyes and it's not because I'm seeking attention. It's just because it's what happens when I feel something strongly. I don't need anybody to fix me. I'm not trying to get anybody to cave into me. It's just what happens. Just like when I get warm, my cheeks get red physically. When, when my emotions start to build up, they leak out my eyes. It's that yeah. simple, that much of a straight line. Um, and there are plenty of HSPs who don't cry. Like it's not a requirement. And there are plenty who feel very deeply, but it stays inside of them. They don't express yeah. it. Yeah. So fascinating. I just love that alone. Feeling your own emotions intensely yeah. does not mean it has to be seen or outwardly expressed. Mm -mm. But that's mm -hmm. a key quality of it. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, our highs might be a little higher. Our lows might be a little bit lower. And before I understood this, my emotions were rampantly out of control. I was reactive. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. In fact, I now know that I was often dysregulated, but those are not the normal state for an HSP. The normal state for an HSP is to feel deeply. And, yeah. and the more I've learned to be able to metabolize my, my emotions, I've actually learned to enjoy them a lot more, even the ones that I used to think were the bad emotions, but we won't go down that road right now. I do have a quick question in regards yeah. to that. You know, are, you're familiar with the Enneagram. Oh yeah. So are HSPs related to number four? That's a great question. My understanding in terms of personality theory is that HSPs P is an overlay on any personality. So any of the Enneagrams could be an HSP, any yeah. of the four basics, any of the, um, the Myers-Briggs, it's yeah. an overlay. And That's so amazing. there might, you might find a few more in, in the fours, you might find a few more in the fives, but I'm a two wing three. So yeah. got it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the fourth one is that HSPs are highly empathetic. So not only do we feel our own emotions intensely, we also read others' emotions and we can experience them within ourselves almost as if they are our own emotions because mm -hmm. our mirror neurons almost never turn off. They're like going, going, going. And so this can have wonderful benefits in terms of being nurturing and caring and picking up on things that nobody else picks up on. It can also be incredibly depleting and can also become incredibly um, unhealthy. Again, the more awareness we have and the more that um, we can recognize, hang on, I'm feeling something right now, but it's not mine. And thus, I don't have to be the one to take care of it. I think this is what happens often in, in marriages is I would pick up on my husband's emotion. I would be more aware of what he was feeling than he was, but I didn't know it was his. I would just suddenly become aware that, boy, there's a lot going on in here. And uh, so I would try to control his behavior mm -hmm. so that I could dial down the amount of emotion I was feeling. And so it looked like manipulation. It probably felt like manipulation, but my goal was never to manipulate. My yeah. goal was to get the level of emotion down that I was experiencing. And so this is where actually having skill language and skills to wrap around this can be so, so helpful. Uh, yeah, go ahead. And then the last one, number five, is that HSPs know, notice nuances. And so we're going to see um, many, many HSPs are capable of big picture thinking and then very small detail and then back to big picture and then back to small detail. But we often notice things that other people don't. 
And um, I may not be good spur of the moment, but I'm a very good person when it comes to circling back around a week later, a month later, a quarter later, a year later, people are like, you noticed that you heard me say that you still remember that. And I'm like, Oh yeah. (laughs) It's not better. It's not better than another way of being. It's just how we're wired. It's how God created us. Wow. That's, Mm -hmm. that's interesting. Um, Okay. So with those, then those qualities, I'm sure this list could be (laughs) like forever long, but within a marriage then when there's one person, when either Mm -hmm. one or both spouses are highly sensitive persons, how do you, for what's the correct verbiage, people, persons, you know, English teacher. Well, since it's called the highly sensitive person, Denise and I did say that, you know, on the cover, say a guide for highly sensitive persons and those who love them. We're both English teachers. So that's what we settled on. (laughs) See, I'm not, you know, okay. My husband still corrects my English. Um, It's all good. (laughs) So, so what about then, what does this look like in marriage? Like you were saying mm-hmm. years ago when you didn't have verbiage or you didn't have understanding, mm-hmm. you know, and I, again, I'm sure we could be here all night talking about all the different ways that this could impact a marriage, but what are some like key themes that we mm-hmm. might, we could maybe pick up on, mm-hmm. you know, if we, or our husbands or both of us are a just mm-hmm. Well, this is where the whole concept of a sensitivity gap comes in, because we all have different constellations of sensitivity, whether or not we're highly sensitive persons. So this conversation applies to any um, any couple, not just those who wear one or both might be HSPs. And if they're both HSPs, by the way, it doesn't mean that they're going to then be on the same track because mm-hmm. the constellations can be so, so very different. Um And so what can tend to happen when one spouse does become overstimulated, let's say, by sensory input that is not bothering the other one, like whether it's bright light or a strong scent or, you know, in in my case, I'm always joking about the cat hair in my bra. Like I gave birth to my son with no epidural or nothing. It just all happened so fast. And so I, I, I'm kind of proud of that pain tolerance. But if, if Rafiki, if a Rafiki fur gets stuck in my bra, I'm going to lose my mind. Like yeah. I, 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 when I was still teaching, there were times I would like leave the classroom, go fix it and come back because it just was so irritating. And so when that's happening to when that same stimuli might be happening to both people, but only one of them is having this really strong uh, physical reaction to it, it's very easy for the unaffected spouse to get really frustrated and even judgmental without meaning to, and to say things like, I don't hear anything, or you're just making this all up, Mm -hmm. or, well, what you're feeling has no basis in reality. And as soon as we throw down words like reality, then, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, them's fighting words. And it's tricky because, um, especially if they are in the same situation, it would be logical to think they should be having the exact same experience and thus the same reaction. And so the the, um, analogy I always like to draw is cilantro. So Amanda, do you like cilantro or not? Love. You love cilantro. Okay. So you're like me and my daughter and Marie. Like if we were to make up some salsa, we would fill it up with cilantro and we would genuinely enjoy it. We wouldn't be faking it. We wouldn't be trying to prove anything. Our brains light up with pleasure when we eat cilantro. But here's the the thing that I didn't know that is such a good analogy to being a highly sensitive person. And that is if we were to pull my husband, Daniel, into, you know, the meal And we were to put our salsa on his food. 
it would ruin it for him, even if it was from the same bowl of, of, of salsa. Because even though it's the exact same sensory input, okay, it's cilantro from the exact same bunch and we're all eating it, his brain interprets it as tasting like dirt or soap. Mm-hmm. Our brains interpret it as being absolutely delicious and his brain interprets it different. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I discovered, oh, there's, and it's a, ge- it's a genetic component. Okay. There is a gene that has been isolated for this. Yeah. And so what that tells me is when, when people tell us about their lived experience, we need to listen to it and we need to believe it. Even nice. if we're not experiencing the ex- exact same thing, because some of that experience is literally, you know, I used to be told, oh, it's all in your head. And I'm like, well, where else would it be? Of course. I mean, who, who we are is in our heads, right? Yeah. And so to, to trust that people are telling the truth about their lived experience rather than mm-hmm. saying things like, you're making that up. I don't hear it. And the implication to I don't hear it is thus it must not exist. And really, mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, when we are dismissive of what somebody else is telling us they're experiencing is we're basically saying, I don't believe you. You're yeah. wrong. And I'm better than I'm 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 a better version of a human than you are. And that can be incredibly shaming. Like mm-hmm. uh, I I the reason I was so excited to find out that being a highly sensitive person is a real thing is not because I needed a new label. It's because up until that point, I was 45 years old when I found out about it. So I've only known about it for 10 years now. I thought I was defective Mm. and I thought I was hopelessly defective. Like, I mean, I owned the self-help shelf of Barnes and Noble and then it never, it didn't work. Like it didn't fix all the problems with me. And what I discovered, oh, all of these things that I thought were unrelated problems that needed a thousand different solutions all fell under this umbrella of being a highly sensitive person. And it was all real. I wasn't making any of it up. It was such a relief. And I actually started taking more responsibility for myself Mm. and taking better care of myself because Mm. I no longer thought I was irreparably broken. I realized I was just differently wired. And so that can make a huge, huge, huge difference. And And so go ahead. Well, you just nailed it right there. I feel like with, when you said like you started, you were able to take care of yourself, yes. honor how God made you instead of trying to like fight through the things, oh. or, you know, even for me, I find mm-hmm. I, I, I don't sleep well when I'm not at home. And so mm-hmm. I talked about this or maybe it's come up at some point, but I just don't. And so I, <laughs> I have to bring all my things yes. right to be able to go to bed and yeah. Um, it's annoying for me. And so in the past, I've tried to not pack them or not be as annoying or high maintenance or whatever. And it doesn't go well, right? But I just don't want to be like that. So I try really hard to not need those things. And it's just, it's when we are able to, like you say, understand this about ourselves in the many different ways this is for each of us, and then honor that instead of fighting against it. Yes, we not only help ourselves, we then obviously are helping our people, right? Yes. And it's it's huge. That's such a big part of this, I have found. Yeah. My husband travels with his marshmallow. That's the name we've given to his big, the, the extra comforter. And we've learned because every now and then he's like, oh, I don't need it. And I used to be like, oh, he must know what he's talking about. And now I know, oh, 
he's feeling like he's being too high maintenance. Yeah. I, I'm going to step in and encourage that we at least put it in the car because hotels or, or the places, you know, if we stay with friends, they never have anything heavy enough. Yeah. He needs that weight on him yeah. in order to get that amount of sleep. And so, and I mean, this is so common among HSPs to carry. Um, I, I call it being a home base body. We're not home bodies necessarily, but we're a home base body. And we need to take those key things from yeah. home that make us comfort able, like we are able to, and, and the, and the root of the word comfort isn't ease, it's strength. Fort mm -hmm. is the word fortress, right? Mm -hmm. And so to be comfort able means that we are taking the agency to say, these are the things I need to be my best self, to be yeah. my strongest. And for you, that is that you need the things you need to get that good night of sleep. So kudos for taking care of yourself. It's good stewardship. It's not just self-care. That is actual stewardship of your of your yes. agency, brain, and body. Hello. Hello. <laughs> True. And we don't again. So this is so good because yeah. you know, we're thinking about, okay, for ourselves, but then also for our husbands, that might look different. Yeah. And you know, um, well, let, me, let me give a little example there. My husband is not only an HSP, he also happens to be on the autism spectrum. And so he has even, even more intense responses to sensory stimuli. And for the longest time, I could not figure out why he would get so agitated. If he'd come home at the end of the day and he'd be making himself something to eat in the kitchen, I would come in and join him and start cleaning and putting things away. And we would almost bump into each other. And he would just get more and more agitated until sometimes he would just leave everything and, and disappear upstairs. And then I'd be crushed, crushed. And that's when my intense emotions would come out and I'd be in tears. And I finally came to understand that for him having someone else in the kitchen when he is already depleted from his long day at work is just that much too much sensory stimuli. It has nothing to do with me as a person, how much he loves me. He just needs the space to himself. So he's not reaching for something only to find me suddenly. It's a startle thing. He he yeah. just, he he's he's depleted. And so I learned to just sit in the, in the uh, dining area and chat with him rather yeah. than be in there with him. Yeah. It's all the difference in the world. And again, to have the vocabulary to talk about this and to have an understanding that this is biological, it is genetic, it is based on sensory processing sensitivity and has nothing to do with, oh, he's not even glad to see me at the end of the day. And right. so being able to have these tools as a mental model makes a, at least it's made a huge difference for us. Yes, yes. And I, I think, again, what I love about this is that it gives us an understanding, like, because for each of us, it's different in different ways. Mm -hmm. At the very least, we can probably each of us watching or listening right now can think, oh, yeah, of like different ways, either ourselves or our husbands are highly sensitive in mm -hmm. they're processing different stimuli and how mm -hmm. that impacts how they are at home with kids. Mm -hmm whatever at work or on the phone or driving. You know, what's really funny too. I just thought of this. When my, husband, I know, when my husband drives, he can't chat on the phone about like things about like mm -hmm. information or details or whatever. He can talk about the whatever, but like once it turns into information, he literally has to get off the phone. He's like, I, I, I got to go. And at, at the, at first I was like, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. And just until mm -hmm. right now I had thought, mm -hmm that that was just something weird about him or quirky about him, whatever. Mm -hmm. Oh, I do think it's the information. Yep. I think his brain's like, nope, can't do that too much. Mm -hmm. 
on the road, yep. whatever. Anyway, yeah. I just thought of that. So and, and, and I love that. I, and to me, this is the kind of ahas we can have where we're like, what if, I mean, if we open up, because our brains don't work that way, right? Like you could, you could do that if you were on the phone. And it's so easy for us to think of ourselves as the norm. Like, right. And, and, and this is where being able to be open to somebody else's lived experience. Like I love having other people in the kitchen. I won't cook if there aren't other people in the kitchen with me. Like my son will hang out with me. And, and when we start to bump into each other, we think it's funny. Like yeah. it doesn't overstimulate either of us. That fact does not invalidate my husband's experience. And there is something I think so healthy within a family, within a marriage to be able to pause and be, and be open to the Holy Spirit leading and, and showing us these things and to say, wow, you know, somebody from the outside might look at this and go, I don't think you should need to accommodate in that way or adapt in that way. But when you know your spouse and you understand them and you have history with them and you can go, oh, this is the reason why this thing has been eating at us or just not working. In my case, I figured out my husband needs me not in the kitchen like 33 years into our marriage, 33 years. And so it's been a relief for me that it's not me. And it's been a relief for him that he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't have to keep trying to make it work only to reach that breaking point and have to go upstairs for an hour to kind of dial himself down. So I think it's a beautiful thing that we can, you know, expand our awareness of each other. And communication, I'm thinking, you know, it's just obviously a huge component of any marriage. Duh. And when this, like you say, when we're processing things and we hit that point where we're like, Oh, I can't, or like it's too much for my body or my, Mm -hmm my senses is just too much to try to communicate, to try to like force anyone our, ourselves mm. or our husbands into communicating at that point yeah. or expecting, this is not to say like, um, you know, it's okay to be rude or disrespectful. Yeah. I'm not saying that, but to mm-hmm. understand that, huh, maybe perhaps that's why I or my husband have a difficult time communicating kindly in those moments. Yeah. Maybe one of us, is trying to push to, you know, really talk about it in that moment or whatever, talk through something to, to really like, Hmm, maybe that's really not honoring like mm. and how God made them or me. Mm-hmm. So this is, I mean, with communication, I can absolutely see how this not understanding, not having this vocabulary and understanding mm-hmm. totally disrupt and cause mm-hmm in a marriage when having this understanding can just help so much yeah, and not have to walk through all of that mess. So it's hugely helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Any other like big themes you see that, you know, having one spouse or both being HSPs can really disrupt a marriage. You know, one of the things that's been really valuable for me has been, um, understanding this in terms of, um, these days, it's. I think we're seeing a lot about polyvagal theory. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, it used to just be considered the fear responses or stress responses. And so um, 
we're all familiar with fight and flight. We've, we've heard about those. And then there's freeze and fawn that I think have gotten more. We've, we've heard more about them. Freeze is kind of the deer in the headlights and, you know, the body really thinks something terrible is happening. So we shut down. We might even dissociate fawn. I think a lot of Christian women have been conditioned to, it's a, it's a form of people pleasing. And then more recently I've become aware of flock, which is kind of the, the, the desire to group and frenzy. And I'm a frenzier. Like I go into productivity when I'm stressed or anxious or feeling, you know, traumatized by a situation, whatever you want to call it. And so, again, I think when we were newlyweds, we would think that the other person's character wasn't so good, or maybe we weren't having devotions enough, or we hadn't listened well enough to the sermon and might even question each other's dedication to Christ. Uh, I'm not saying we really did that. I might have journaled about that when I was much, much younger and less mature. But to really recognize that so much of this is about our bodies and our brains responding in those immediate, quick responses. And for the longest time, even you know, as I was learning about these things, I was like, okay, so I just need to learn to white knuckle it through better, you know, grit my teeth through it better. And really what the research is showing us now is the need to be so much more gentle with ourselves, to listen to these kinds of responses. Like take the people pleasing one, for example, you know, and I, I think I already mentioned earlier that I used to try to, um, to manipulate my husband. Like I would do whatever he needed so that he would dial down so that I wouldn't, my empathy wouldn't be feeling his emotions so much so that I could be okay. And I used to agree with everybody who said I was a control freak, capital C control, capital F freak. I now know that I was a person seeking safety. Mm -hmm. And when we go into these responses, I'm not saying they're great. I'm not saying that we're applauding them. I'm saying to have compassion for ourselves. Um, for me, developing self-compassion has really opened the door to having compassion for others. And that was so hard because I was raised where if it had the word self in it, it must be selfish. Thus, it mm -hmm. was not of God. Thus, we couldn't do it. And so the way I've come to define self-compassion, it is simply receiving God's grace for myself. That's what makes it self-compassion. Not that I'm focused on self. But I'm actually, I'm not just saying God's grace is good for everybody else. I'm, I am receiving it fully for myself. And then because of that, there's going to be an overflow of grace for others. And so to recognize, oh, that, that, that reaction that's starting to happen in my spouse, A, has nothing to do with me. B, I don't need to be afraid. And C, may well have something to do with his brain and body going into a reactive state that is so different from what it used to be like, oh my goodness, what happened? What's happening to our marriage? We're both trying hard. We're doing our best. We're reading all the books. We're going to counseling and we still find ourselves having these meltdowns and talking what I now know for hours that did no good whatsoever. I mean, it didn't, there was no actual communication taking place. Yeah. And so, so much of it is, is having compassion for my own self and the brain and body that's trying to protect me. And yeah. to be able to be gentle with it, being able to be gentle with the other person um, just makes a huge, huge difference. And for those of us who are HSPs, this is so important because we just kind of live on high alert. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Elaine Aaron says we have a pause to check instinct. Like we're always looking for danger, always looking for what could go wrong. And it could be perceived as being negative. And so, you know, I used to try to, you know, 
overcome it with the over positivity. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm finding that 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 more gentle approach just mm -hmm. makes such such a difference. Mm, so good. So good. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of so many things that <laughs> I mean, we can we can take what you're saying and we can take again, if you're just joining or not sure what we're talking about, we're talking about Sherry and Denise, Sherry Gregory and Denise Hughes book, Sensitive and Strong, and take the information and really apply it obviously within marriage, but it relates to any relationship, specifically starting with our own, with ourselves and nurturing that and having grace for that. It's this last year has been a journey for me in, in mm. honoring, learning how I'm still learning how to honor my body. Mm. This is a part I forget about. I, I really do. And <laughs> I, you know, I forget about the sensory part of it mm -hmm. for me. So this is so good and such a good like way to end the year for myself personally. Mm. So this is all for me, Sherry. I had you on. Oh, so I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, how about like in that vein then, how can we move toward like honoring then and embracing more? Um, if you have any other tips for us or ways that we can even just honoring and embracing how God made our husbands too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that for me has been so important, especially in the last few months of this year, um, and that is the scripture, I think it's an Acts that says, for in him we live and move and have our being. And we had just this amazing series of conversations in the Sensitive and Strong Community Cafe that started out with me um, suddenly realizing, what if I were to see God as my first layer of protection, like my first line of defense? If I am in him, then really, instead of feeling like this exposed raw nerve that everybody is constantly, you know, trampling on and poking, to realize that, no, no, he's there first, and then come the others. And one of the things that, you know, has that has really spoken to me is, and I'm such a social learner, I'm such a people person that my my gut reaction to almost anything is to talk to somebody about it, to call a friend or to text or to want to process it verbally and and, and work through it. And it's really given me pause to say, okay, what does it mean to go to God first? And not in the perfectionistic, ritualistic, I will have an hour of quiet time because that makes me a good Christian girl. And then I will have earned the blessings that are due to me. Right. Um, but in a very genuine way that says, oh my goodness, I'm so upset right now. In him, I live and move and have my being. So I'm going to go to him first because I need help discerning what do I talk to my husband about? What do I take to my counselor? What do I, what do I save for my counselor? Yeah. You know, what do I process first with the professional so that I don't do accidental damage to the person who's not a trained counselor and who doesn't need to hear all my processing. In fact, my processing mm -hmm. I've learned can often make it worse. What do I talk to a wise, godly friend about? What do I watch for in terms of if I, if I feel like reaching out to too many people, is that co-ruminating? Is that co-brooding, which could become very unhealthy for me, you know, yeah. and going first to God in a, again, a much gentler, calmer, less frenzied, less frantic, less panicked, solve it now, control freaky kind of way. And I find, oh, if my goal is safety, 
then going to God first, he is the ultimate source of safety. He's never going to shame. He's never going to dismiss. He's never going to tell me my feelings aren't based in reality. He's never going to, you know, tell me any of those kinds of things. And it's just become such an important way for me to kind of just slow the roll down, almost slow-mo the whole thing to yeah. get that gap between stimulus and response. So I have more time to, to really, well, you, you know, I call it processing. Um, and so I know for everybody that's going to look differently for some people that might be praying for some people that might be journaling for some people it might be taking a good walk out in nature. Um, but that can make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, and I was sharing with you, um, sharing this with you earlier, um, that has become such an important thing for me to say inside my head. And I do say it inside my head to my husband, but I never, ever say this out loud. Okay. But it's been so important this year. And that is when we get into a thing and I disagree with his perception and he, he just, he's not believing my perception of things. It's a little phrase where I say, you have my full permission to be a hundred percent wrong about me. And the reason I have to say that so strongly isn't for him. It's for me because I have been so dependent on validation mm -hmm. from another. I have been yeah. so needy of him saying, you're right, mm -hmm. it, you know? And so for me, that helps me detach from needing him to agree with me or validate or affirm me. Um, yeah. And so other people might find a slightly different way of saying it. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, that just pulls back and allows me to be like, yeah, I think I'll be the one who validates my own lived experience. I'm going to honor his lived experience. Mm. I'll honor my lived experience, whether or not he does. And it, it just takes a whole set of expectations and burdens off of him um, that he doesn't yeah. need. And he never signed up for in the first place. Right. So those yeah. are just a couple of things. Yeah, that's good. Mm. That's so good. Like, it's okay if you don't understand me mm. or my experience. Yeah. Like, it's okay if blah, 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 like fill in mm. the blank for each of us and how that mm -hmm. might. And it's okay that I don't understand his and yeah. vice versa. And, you know, yeah. um, there's okay. many times I just walk myself intellectually through it. I'm like, this doesn't resonate with me because that's not how I work. And yeah. so I will choose to believe that what he is saying is true. And in my case, I got 30 years, three years, 34 years to back it up. I'm like, oh, this makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, it illuminates all sorts of things. So I'm going to go ahead and believe it. But it's not because I understand at some yeah. deep empathetic resonance. I'm, I'm, I will never say the words, I get it. Yeah. I totally understand. It's that way for me too. And I think as at least for me, that used to be the the gold standard. If we could totally resonate and get each other, I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of chucking that out the window. I think I watched too many movies or rom coms or something that elevated <laughs> that to way too high a status. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, and what you said earlier, I wish I could remember the exact phrase, but to develop that, to not need to understand everybody's, and to understand mm. they don't need to understand ours. Yeah, and that. And to say, like, thank you for sharing that experience with yes. me. Yes. Yeah. And leaving it at that. Like, mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. yeah. Like, what have I think Brene Brown has a new definition of empathy that basically it's not that we feel what the other person feels, it's that we believe them when they share their experience with us, even when it's completely yeah. different from ours. And so I think that's, yes, yeah. and hold space for it. Yep. Yeah. And I'll push it away or mm -hmm. whatever. 
Oh, that's so good. That's so good, Jerry. Thank you. Um, any, I guess, anything other, any final thoughts you have on this conversation? And then we're going to pray for you wives watching and share a few other fun things about Sherry. So stick around. And again, comment me if you want sensitive and strong. We're giving away a copy after our live tonight. Um, any final thoughts on the conversation that we didn't get to? You know, to? just just being as practical as I can be here again, you know, I think I've already said a few times that developing that shared vocabulary is really important. Like when Daniel and I started being able to talk about anxiety very freely without any shame. And like the other day, you know, he was, he went into work on his birthday and I was like, on your birthday, really? And he was like, uh, my brain won't let me sleep. It won't shut down until he'd gotten certain things done. And I'm like, okay, anxiety brain is at work. I understand the need to close the loop. And so he can, he can relax. And so that's the, that's the phrasing we use, finding phrases. And it, it, for us having actual diagnostic labels has been valuable. Mm -hmm. um, I, but it could be anything, whatever vocabulary actually works for the couple to be able to talk about this thing. And part of what it does is it's, it puts it outside of us. Like yeah. it's not him, it's not me, it's anxiety produced by too much sensory stimuli. And so it's it allows us to band together because yeah. of this outside force. It's not an enemy so much, but it's something we have to pay attention to. So a shared vocabulary that can be easily dropped into with nobody feeling threatened. And, mm -hmm. you know, for us, anxiety happens to be it. It's like the code word where I go, oh, I get it. I get it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I understand. I understand in my own way and you understand in yours. Um, and so um, finding a support group um, can be really valuable. Like there was a certain period of time, especially once I, I began to really understand the implications of Daniel being on the spectrum. I needed to be able to talk with other wives under the guidance of a therapist. And I needed to be able to explore things that I really, he did not need to hear me talk about and it needed yeah. to be confidential. And then I will admit I left when it became too triggering when new people would join. I was making progress, but I needed to not be reminded of what it was like to be discovering it for the first time. So finding support and then leaving the support when yeah. it's no longer, it's no longer helping growth. Yeah. And then the last thing would be um, that I think was really helpful for me is kind of becoming a journalist or a detective, which is kind of a way of saying detaching in a healthy way to just you know, in terms of this sensitivity, be a sleuth, like just take notes. I wonder if this, I wonder if this, and, you know, maybe even get a little, a little notepad to jot things down on, not to be a spy and not to be catching anybody doing anything wrong, but to be starting to look for patterns. Yes. You know, one of the things I realized about Daniel is um, one of his ways of literally resetting his entire system is taking a nap. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm kind of ashamed to admit it, but, you know, I used to think he was a little on the lazy side or why does he need so much sleep? Maybe, maybe he needs a sleep study. Maybe he's sleep deprived and that's, no, he instinctively knows when he's had too much sensory stimuli that he needs to go take a nap. I could learn something from that. Yeah. And so that came as a result of me just jotting notes and real, and, and I told him that I was like, do you realize this is what you do? He's like, I had no idea, but you're right. You know, so again, it increased our ability to talk about it. And so um, noticing for the sake of increasing uh, one's understanding of the other person's lived experience, I think can yes. also be really helpful. And if you're like, how in the world is my husband ever going to understand me? Get the book. <laughs> for real, for real. Because 
absolutely. This you can read through it together. Sense mm-hmm. from a highly sensitive persons and those who love them. Not just for the one that is a highly sensitive person. Mm. Both of you yeah. understand. So Anne, thank you so much, Sherry. Oh, of course. I'd love for you to pray. And then I want to hear what's kind of coming up on the horizon for you and um, share where women can find you. So would you start okay. Absolutely. Lord, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for Amanda and her um, vision for marriages and for wives and her heart of obedience to you. Um, Thank you for her willingness to dive into all sorts of messy and complicated topics um, that we know are neither too messy nor too complicated for you. And Lord, for those who are created sensitive, um, Lord, we praise you that um, we or they are, uh, that you created them that way, sensitive, and that in Christ, we and they are always strong. The strength of sensitive and strong is never us. It is always you. And so, Lord, we praise you for the ways you expand our understanding of people who aren't like us and help us to understand that uh, because you created us and you love us, we don't even really need to be fully understood by others. We can be fully known by you. And that is more than enough. And Lord, we love you. And um, we are so thrilled to be your daughters in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Um, Ladies, if you uh, are part of a church, there's a women's ministry, bring Sherry in. She will And oh my land. I mean, just go to her website. It's sherrygregory.com, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I, well, I have two websites. There's sherrygregory.com, which is my author speaker site. And I, I do talk on things much more general than being a highly sensitive person. I talk on personalities and perfectionism and all sorts of other stuff. And then I also have sensitiveandstrong.com, which is specifically for HSBs. Okay. So literally her books are phenomenal and you can see her speaking topics and bring her in and bless all of the, the people in your community, really. Um, but yeah, tell us, where else, if there's anywhere else you want women to go, um, also like what's on the horizon? Anything you can tell us? Okay, I will. I will. I'm so excited. Um, so um, I do facilitate the Sensitive and Strong Community Cafe, which is an online membership. We just passed. Um, we're going into our fourth year at this point, and I am so excited. We have a lovely, lovely community of women who are highly sensitive persons. And and the thing that's been so exciting over the last few months is we have members who had left who are coming back and saying, I need you. Mm-hmm. I have to have a place where women understand me, where I don't have to explain myself. So much of the exhaustion is not being understood. And so when our husbands don't understand us, we can, and it's not that it's not a place of commiseration and it's not a support group. It is a learning community. So it's the sensitive and strong community cafe. I love it so very much. And then the other thing that is coming up for me is I'm in the midst of working on a new book proposal and it's specifically on the topic of regret because Mm -hmm. it has, oh my goodness, I did a pilot program last fall called Um, Well, it's a really long name called Candid Conversations about Regret, Self-Recrimination, and Realizing It's Not All My Fault. And Mm -hmm. it was phenomenal for those of us who feel like everything has always been all my fault, whether because it was conditioned into us or we come from a trauma background or maybe it's just part of our natural wiring. There were a lot of Enneagram 1s and 2s in that program. Um, I have been doing a lot of research on getting to know regret, not N-O 
but getting to know K N O W getting to know regret. And I have made so many amazing discoveries and I'm going to be, I'm going to be running the program again because it was so mind blowingly phenomenal for me. And, um, I'm also, like I said, I'm in the middle of working on a book proposal and, um, I would love your prayers because I, I don't know that I've ever been quite this excited about a topic and it's, I mean, HSP, absolutely. But most of the women who were in the pilot program were HSPs because we're so conscientious. You know, that's part of the HSP. And so the, 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 the hardest part of me for doing that program was the weight of regret that women carry. I thought I was the only one. I had no idea what a burden it's been for so many. And then by the end of the program, the amount of freedom that was had and the amount of under from because of the understanding and because of uh, recognizing that self-compassion is receiving God's grace for ourselves and learning to, to have that more gentle approach and then uh, very specific tools for moving out of regret and um, taking the lessons we need from it, but not, not staying stuck there. So yeah, wow. that's what I'm working on. I'm so excited. Keep us posted. I'm probably I'm, the only person you know who gets excited about regret. <laughs> oh, I don't know. When you said for people who feel like it's it's always like their fault, I'm mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. But that was definitely uh, the message mm-hmm. I received growing up as a kiddo, mm-hmm. and it's a uh, trigger for me. Yeah, so, you're uh, not alone. It is a huge yeah. issue, and there's good research on it, but a lot of Christian women haven't gotten their hands on it. So Whoa. that's what I'm working on. It's going to be good. Be good. <laughs> well, thank you. And also, do you have like a, a subscribe, you know, email that if anyone wants to follow along with you, can they go over to sherrygregory.com or sensitive in, for, for either? That you either like? one of them. It's sherrygregory.com slash join or sherry, yeah. uh, sorry, sensitive and strong.com slash join. Got it. Perfect. Either one. They can subscribe yeah. that way. Yeah. We'll link. So thank you so much, everyone, for being with us. Again, if you need a Bible, just say, I need a Bible in the comments mm-hmm. and we will follow up and get your address. Also, if you want to win uh, a copy of Sensitive and Strong, just say me and we will be doing a, um, a drawing right at the end of this live and go get a copy. Go get a copy for your friends, for your small group. It'd be great um, to, to get it for your group. Go through it, you and your husband, all the things. So Thanks for being with us, ladies. And Sherry, thank you so much. Thank Um, you. This has been fun. Yeah, it's always so much fun to be with you and to hear all the wisdom that you have. So thank you. And ladies, we will be back next week for an all new uh, show uh, together with a wife like me. So thanks for being with us, friends. Bye, Sherry. Bye.